0: i better.
1: Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is July 1st, 2015, and this is episode 1601 of the Survival Podcast. And I've got a great one for you today. It has been a long time since we've talked about dogs. Today we're going to talk with a guy named Cats that trains dogs. Yes, Cats trains dogs. He's a pretty cool guy. His name is Adam Katz. He's been a longtime listener of the Survival Podcast. He's been training dogs for most of his adult life and has been actually working with dogs since he was a kid. Uh, he's got a great website, very well-known website called dogproblems.com where you can learn how to solve your dog problems. We're going to talk to him about dogs for the prepper lifestyle, the homestead lifestyle, and Dogs just as family companions, breeds, all kinds of stuff. Before I bring them on, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by helping to make sure the show is here for you Monday through Friday, five days a week. Sponsor of the day number one today is jmbullion.com. When I'm looking for silver or gold, I go to jmbullion.com, and I'll tell you why. They're a small enough company that I can personally communicate directly with the president, Michael, at any time of my choosing. And that means as uh, as someone that's endorsing them, if you ever have a problem that doesn't get resolved by their customer service, which is 99% of the time stellar anyway, I can make sure that it gets taken care of for you. And I think that's really important in my sponsors. Next is pricing. The entire point of buying silver and gold is it's the same, it's the same, it's the same. You get the same silver eagle from JM Bullion as you do from Atmex or Monex. It's exactly the same. It's the same purity. It's the same weight. It's the same design. It's the same cut. It is the same. It's like buying a Wilson basketball. Whether you buy it from you know Walmart or Academy Sports and Outdoors, it's the same. That's the point. So why pay more? So why not deal with a company that's a small company? that has great customer service, that offers free shipping on all orders, and has better pricing. When you're buying the same thing Now why silver and gold? I'm not an all-in guy I'm not the guy that like You need to get out of the dollar They're going to burn it to the ground It's going to be worthless tomorrow By the way, give me your dollars and here's some silver I'm not that guy But I do know that the plan for our money Is a continued devaluation Through the process of inflation Which is a hidden tax on the wealth of the American people And I know that's the case Because the former chairman of the Federal Reserve Said so on the floor Of the United States House of Representatives While being questioned by Ron Paul He admitted that and said, it's okay. That's the way the system works. It's supposed to work that way. Well, if that's the plan, then my plan is to make sure I have a wealth assurance policy. We talk about insurance a lot, but assurance is is equally important. And the way I personally do that is I have 10% of my net wealth, roughly, in silver and gold. I recommend that you do something similar. My personal recommendations are that you consider uh, a wealth assurance program of 5 to 10% of your net wealth in hard commodities like silver and gold. And if you need silver and gold, I can't give you a better a recommendation than J.M. Bullion. Check them out today. And remember, members of our support brigade, you do get a discount on larger orders from J.M. Bullion. Check the benefits section of your MSB account to learn more about that. Next up today, sponsor of the day number two, westernbotanicals.com. Um, I am a big believer in going to herbs before going to conventional medicines, be they prescription drugs, over-the-counter, I don't care. Um, I have personally found that herbs are a more gentle way to treat Uh, the acute symptoms and chronic symptoms that we all deal with on a daily basis. Now, I'm not a doctor, and I don't prescribe treatments, and I never claim to. And the people at Western Botanicals, while they are a chiropractic facility, also don't make medical recommendations. They simply provide the highest quality herbs Raw herbs and herbal supplements and other things like essential oils for your own use. And they're real people that really care about you. And if you pick up the phone and call them, someone in Utah, not New Delhi, will answer the phone and help you make the right decisions for yourself. That's what Western Botanicals is all about. They are a great sponsor. They have been with us a very long time, six plus years. That is is forever in the world of podcasting. They also have a program called their Premium Membership Program where they give a 25% discount on everything they sell. They sell that membership for $50 a year every day. If you are a member of our support brigade, you get that membership absolutely free. All you have to do is call them up, give them the code word in your MSB account, and they will set up your account for you so you can get 25% off on everything they sell cell. Some of the favorite things that I use by them are the turmeric formula. Uh, that is one of the best anti-inflammatory things that I've ever used personally for myself. Again, I can't make individual personal recommendations on it, but I can tell you that I use it and it works for me. If my back is sore and achy, if my shoulders acting up from an old injury from the military uh, after a hard day working, I go to that. Their deep heat ointment is another great thing for that. They have a pain relief formula that uses valerian. Those are things I personally use on a regular basis. There's a lot of other really great things there. Basically guys if it's herbal and it's legal you can find it at Western Botanicals where their goal is to create an herbalist in every home. To empower you not only to use their formulas but to give you the raw herbs and the ingredients you need to make your own herbal formulations including how to use the herbs from your own backyard and then get the parts for the formulation you need from them and the extra materials and the knowledge from them. You can get everything at westernbotanicals.com Check them out today. Again westernbotanicals.com and if you're an MSB member, do not forget to get your premium membership 25% off everything they sell every day of the year. Next up, let's take a look at what Alex Shrug has for us in the TSP Wiki at tspwiki.com for the gear that was the episode, this being 1601. I have naughty words chalked on a, black fen, on a back fence and the need for an an- anonymity. I have Total Tudor Cheesy, uh, The Great Bed of Wear. And I have the Russian famine begins, two million lives will end. Just I want to make a quick note on that. This has a lot to do with the volcano that exploded in the year 1600 in Peru. That coupled couple with the little ice age and freezing temperatures has caused a crop failure in Russia, and about two million people will die uh, from climate change that really had nothing to do with your car. Just saying, I wanted to kind of mention that more just because when you have that many people die, it's worth noting that disasters do happen, part of why we prep. Um, I want to actually read, though, Naughty Words Chalked on the Back Fence and the Need for Anonymity. Uh, Mark Twain won't be born until 1835, but between writing his novels Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, he will dash off a letter to his pastor... The Reverend Joseph Twitchell that will later be published as sixteen oh one, conversation as it was by the social fireside in the time of the Tudors. This missive is a locker room humor, imagining a conversation between Queen Elizabeth I and various nobles about farting and sex. The Reverend is most amused by it, others are not. According to Mark accordingly, Mark Twain publishes this work anonymously to avoid reprisals. My take by Alex Shrugged, there is a sense that those who have a controversial opinion should be willing to stand by those words proudly by name. We could probably live without more locker room humor, but we have as much to fear from the private sector as we do from the government. I saw a video of a man expressing his opinion at a Chick-fil-A drive through He was obviously agitated, but remained polite as he protested the corporation's support of traditional Christian ideals. <coughs> the... Server politely accepted his criticism, and that is how such protests should go. Textbook case. But when the man was identified as the CFO of a medical company, he lost his job, and he's now on food stamps. He has paid a high price for simply voicing an opinion. Don't feel too sorry for him. He took the video himself. Nevertheless, anonymity is a foundation stone of free speech. Freedom from government reprisal and freedom from private sector reprisal. Otherwise, unpopular feelings go underground and fester, later emerging as unexpected violence. My take on this is a little different. This is what I've noticed. If I express an opinion that differs with someone that listens to the show that makes a comment in the blog, they get very irate about it very fast that I dare differ with their opinion and said, I think you're wrong. However, it's perfectly acceptable for them to tell me they think I'm wrong. Why is that the case? Have you ever noticed people don't really get irate with strangers when they're told they're wrong by a stranger, or even someone they know they don't really get too irate over, unless that person has a position of perceived authority or popularity. Then they get upset. This is what I think happens sometimes. I recently had an exchange with somebody that went like this on the blog. And basically, they said, you're wrong because, and I said, no, you're wrong because, and they're like, what the F is wrong with you? Why can't I have my opinion? This is a problem I think we have in America today that's not just with a CFO of a medical company or a host of a talk show. It's that we don't think that anybody has a right to their opinion anymore unless we happen to agree with it. And if they don't make the opinion that we want known, known, if they make some sort of opinion that, that you know is controversial in opposition to what we believe is right, we think something must be done. As though people just can't have differing opinions and get on with their lives. And I think Ameri- we we call this political correctness today, but it's not political correctness. What is is cowardice. I believe we've entered an age of cowardice. I believe our nation at this point is literally afraid of freedom. We are literally afraid of liberty. That's why everybody's panties in a water about gay marriage. If you take the religious argument out of it, which you should legally, because. Religion doesn't get to make law. That's called a theocracy. This is not a theocracy. It's supposed to be a democratically elected republic. A representative republic is what it's supposed to be. It's kind of more like an oligarchy, but eh, we know what it's supposed to be. In that society, we should have as much freedom as possible, and the government should only intervene when absolutely necessary. And all of the objections that I hear that are non-religious to this gay marriage thing is, well, it's gonna, it's gonna do this, and it's gonna, it's gonna cost us money or whatever. And basically, what we're saying is, we're terrified, we're afraid, we are afraid not of gays, we are afraid of freedom, we are afraid. That's just the issue of the day. We are afraid when anybody has the freedom to do anything anymore or say anything anymore that we don't agree with or is not the way we think things should be. And it is cowardice. And I know some of you will be upset with me and say I'm, talk- I'm saying you're a homophobe. I'm not saying you're a homophobe. I don't judge anybody that way. That's judging your heart and your mind. I'm judging the actions of the people as a whole that tell me are... Na- and it's, it's on both sides of the political spectrum. Anytime any group is given freedom. So the other side of this is we have people that are upset that a pastor in a church says that being gay is sinful. That's the belief that that particular religion has. They're as much entitled to their belief and to speak their belief as you are to say that they're wrong. It is a cowardly people that can't confront each other's differing opinions and then give each other space to live their life their own way. America was supposed to be a great experiment in liberty. We didn't get off to the greatest start. A lot of people who say we should go back to the way things were don't know how things were. I, I recommend a book called Founding Myths to you to read to, to find out many of the, the, the nation we never were in, in many instances. But we did seem to at least be on the right track. We, we started off as a nation where one man could own another man. That wasn't exactly the bastion of liberty But it seems to me that our founders in our Constitution gave us the greatest chance that any nation ever had to become the most free and, and, and liberated nation of all time. And we did great things. We did wonderful things. We did amazing things. And we did terrible things. But we still did amazing things. And somehow, we were able to rise above fear and solve many of the problems that we were told could never be solved. Until now. And now we quake with fear that some guy might smoke a joint and not risk his freedom over it. We quake in fear that two people might get a piece of paper from a state that should have never been issued for anybody by a state in the first place. We don't need the state to do these things. But we sit and we fear liberty What might it lead to if we allow this freedom that might be greater freedoms and those freedoms might really upset me? Our nation needs to stop being a nation of cowards. If you believe something, I think you should be able to say it and you should be free to say it and you shouldn't be attacked for your opinion. But being disagreed with is not being attacked. People that don't live in fear understand that. If every time somebody tells you they think you're wrong, you feel like you're being attacked, you're operating from a position of fear. You can challenge my ideas anytime you want. The fact that I tell you I don't agree with you simply means I didn't change my mind. It doesn't mean I don't respect your opinion. My take by Jack Spirko, And I think we need more people that say what they mean and mean what they say and stick by it even when it's not popular. Even when it's not popular. And again... I know some people say, well, this guy thinks everything should be okay. Then he says, I should be able to say what I want. Absolutely, and I think you should be able to make a case for it. And you should be able to demonstrate it in your own way. And if you can win people to over to your way, great. And if you can't, that's the world. And that's what this place was supposed to be. That's what America was supposed to be. A place where everybody could demonstrate their own ideas of what freedom looked like. And that the best ideas in the end would win. But it takes a courage I don't know that we have as a nation anymore. So one of the big things I'm trying to do here is restore the the courage of this people, not to fight terrorism overseas, but to fight our own cowardice in our own communities, in our own borders, in our school systems, and in our local governments. We have a cowardice that is like an infection. We're afraid of freedom. If you really think about it, the biggest problems we have today... The biggest problems we have today are all due to a fear of freedom. The fact that we won't decentralize uh, power generation and and let people actually really go nuts with creating their own power is fear. What will happen if that happens? What will happen? And I could go on, but I won't because we have other things to talk about. Anyway, if, if you do like the Survival Podcast and, and you want to help support it, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. To learn more, go to thesurvivalpodcast.com and click on members and you can learn how to sign up there. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty and prior service, along with first responders like EMTs, firefighters and paramedics. All of you qualify for a discount. Email me with TSPC service discount in the subject line before, or not after you join. Again, to learn more, just go to thesurvivalpodcast.com, click on members. Uh, the whole big deal with the MSB is I get you so many discounts, your membership pays for itself. Anyway, with that knockdown, I want to introduce our special guest at this time. His name is Adam Katz. Yes, Katz trains Katz trains dogs. Uh, actually, I think he said to me uh, during our conversation at one point is uh, the name of their business locally. And uh, with that, I want to say, hey, Adam, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Well, I'm glad to have you on. We haven't really talked about the subject of dogs much in, in quite a while. I might have done a few listener questions here and there, and I think I did a dog show like two and a half years ago. Um, so this is a subject we should talk more about, because dogs are just a big part of our lifestyle. I think it's preppers, it's homesteaders, etc., and it's something we want to do right. So I'm glad to have you on to talk about this, but before we get into it, can we just kind of talk about a little bit about your background, how you you came to... Uh, Be listening to the show and and, and be a prepper in your own life and and training dogs. It's a cool thing to be doing, but it's probably not what you thought you were going to be doing when you were like eight years old.
0: Yeah, uh, well, yes and no. Um, I I got into dogs, interested in dogs as a kid. My parents had uh, this old National Geographic book that had pictures of all the different breeds. And I would spend hours and hours looking through that book and memorizing all the information about all the different breeds of dogs. But at that point, growing up in the 70s, it wasn't really an option to to be a dog trainer as a career. So later in life, I found myself in college at the University of California at Berkeley. I I hold the distinction of being one of the few who actually went into Berkeley slightly left of center politically and came out slightly right of center. I'm still not exactly sure how it happened, but it it happened. Um, While I was a student at Berkeley, a woman I met in a um, in a, a campus group had uh, organized like a study group, and we all went over to her house, and her husband was an Israeli guy who had trained dogs for the Army in Israel and had a little dog training company in Berkeley, California, as it turned out. He was he would meet people at a local park, and he trained dogs. He basically uh, run the business out of the back of his truck. So I, I didn't know this at the time. We're sitting there at the study group, and he had the biggest pit bull and the biggest Rottweiler I had ever seen, and he had them on what we call a downstay, which means that they were laying down, and they didn't move. And every time somebody got up or dropped a piece of food, or you know, it didn't matter, the dogs just stayed there, and they just they just watched him. They were just waiting for his command to be able to get up. Uh, but but they were real happy about about staying there as well. And I thought, you know, this is amazing. This little guy has such you know control over these two massive beasts i gotta find out what's going on so it turned out that he he was a professional dog trainer and he specialized in fixing aggression problems mm. and i thought this is this is cool but you know can somebody actually make a living doing this and sure enough he was uh, he was so good he was charging a thousand bucks a dog and he had so many clients he was turning people away um so i, I thought you know instead of uh, getting a job after i graduate from Cal. Where I'm in an office somewhere and the, the the fluorescent lights are burning off my vitamins, I thought wouldn't it be cool to be able to do you know something that I've always been passionate about, be able to work outside uh, and learn more about dogs and training. So, uh, long story short, I, I lobbied him to uh, take me on as an apprentice, and then I, I apprenticed with him for about a year. Graduated from Cal um moved to St. Louis, Missouri and worked for a police dog training outfit or working dog training outfit for a while. Um, got my, my bearings in that regard doing uh, uh, some police dog training, uh, drug detection, tracking, obedience, agility, all kinds of different stuff. There was just a whole bunch of stuff going on in, in, in St. Louis at the time in the dog world. And then moved to California where my parents were from and set up a dog training company called South Bay Canine Academy at the time. Um, After seven years, I got the itch to start writing, and I took everything that I had learned and all of the tips that I would gotten from my other professional dog trainer friends and wrote a book called Secrets of a Professional Dog Trainer that we started selling through our website at dogproblems.com. And that kind of grew as the Internet took off, and we started publishing a free dog training tips newsletter and um, and it, it just it just spread like wildfire, and so now we've got sixty six thousand dog owners who read uh, our dog training tips every week. But something happened, as you know, in nineteen ninety nine, the the Y two K bug hit, and that got me into to prepping. And then um, later in you know two thousand seven two thousand eight, with the financial crisis, it got me more into prepping, uh, and I started thinking about what the role what role dogs have in helping us as preppers.
1: Hmm. Very, very cool. So with all that in mind is the biggest question I get from dog owners is what breed should I get? And I have to admit that the majority of people that ask that question already have a breed. They want me to bite Yeah, that's a good idea. Like I've been thinking about a Border Collie because they're the most wonderful thing in the world. But what dog do you think I should get? And I think what happens is people read about a dog, they're the latest dog in a magazine or something, or that they saw on TV, and they become attached to a breed without first actually thinking, what the the dog, I don't want to, because I love my dogs, I see them like family, but in the end, the dog also fills a role on my property as a tool. So when I look at a nail, I get a hammer, when I get a screw, I get the proper screwdriver, so the tool fits the job. And I think sometimes people don't tend to look at dogs that way and say, okay, what? How much space do I have? What do I want this dog to do? What do I want it not to do? You know, and if you don't want a dog to hunt, then don't get a hunting dog. That's how. Right. Right. How do, how do we right, exactly. out these? This is great. We have all these different dogs, but some people, you know, that's why you find great dogs for adoption because the dog doesn't fit the lifestyle, so to speak.
0: Exactly, exactly. You know, one of the breeds that's really becoming popular now is the Belgian Malinois. And for those uh, of your listeners who don't know what a a Malinois is, it's kind of a subset of the Belgian Shepherd. The Belgian Shepherd's kind of a cousin to the, the German Shepherd, if you will. And it's been, over the past 20 years or so, it's been rapidly kind of replacing the German Shepherd as the working dog of choice, for police and military applications. Um, the problem with the breed is that they are a pain in the butt to live with. I mean, these dogs make terrible, terrible pets. Uh, in fact, I, I only recommend them for people who are either interested in, in going hardcore into – you know, uh, like competition sport type applications, or are going to be using the dog for a police or military application because they they just they're too high drive, they're too high energy, and and it, they're they're not fun to live with in a traditional sense. Um, so now, of course, when when the the Navy Seals went in to get uh, Osama bin Laden and they they took a, a dog with them, it was it was a Belgian Malinois, and so that got the breed a lot of popularity. And so you see a lot of people now. Going, you know, I want that. I want that dog. And now, yeah. of course, there's this, this new movie Max, where the kid adopts the the military dog, and and everybody in the professional dog training community is cringing because they're they they know that there's going to be that 101 Dalmatian thing going on where yeah, everybody runs yeah. out and wants a noir.
1: And it's it's not That's a perfect example of what I'm thinking of is the dog that it's a great dog, if it has the ability to do what it intrinsically does. Yeah, um, but I, I think you would probably agree if you want that level of like intelligence and companionship in a dog, it's a little more low key. Your plain old garden variety German Shepherd is probably a better dog.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely, absolutely. And and the dog, you know, it's a lot like well, it's a lot like guns or cars in, in a couple of ways. Number one, everybody who has a, a gun or or a car. Thinks they're an expert, right? So yeah. probably there's going to be people out there who either agree or disagree with what we're saying. Um, but, but secondly, um, you know, it, it's, it's, there's no one size fits all. So it's really what's right for you. You know, what, if, if I have seven car, seven kids, uh, you know, maybe a Ferrari isn't going to be the best car for me, and it's the same way with with dogs. You know, mm. you really need to get a, a dog, pick a dog breed, and, and then a specific individual within that breed because – Uh, Let's not forget that just because you pick a breed, it's not, it's, it's, it's dislike picking a a car or a gun in the sense that, you know, every 45 that you buy is going to kind of react the same way. Whereas with a dog, you can, you can buy a Belgian Malinois, and and if it's a dud, it's, it's probably going to be more similar to, you know, maybe a poodle than your typical Belgian Malinois. So it's just kind of a general guideline. That being said, um, we can expect certain traits in general from certain breeds.
1: Are there, there's, is there a case, too, though, for things like just a – there's times when I've chosen a dog because of an immediate bond. Like, I know right. that dog and I are going to work well together. Like, Charlie's a perfect example. If somebody said to you, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have a whole bunch of birds running around free range, and I'm going to go get a pit bull crossed with a German pointer, and I'm going to bring that dog home on my property and set him out on that property. You'd say, well, that's pretty dumb. But yet, with proper training, that particular mixed breed dog is working beautifully with the birds. And it wasn't because I looked at him and went, oh, he's cute. It was there was an immediate, like, a, a click that a good a good uh, trainer has with his dog. Like, even before the dog knew anything, you could just tell the dog was responsive and there was a bond. And I think sometimes that, as long as you don't do it like a little kid, oh, he's cute, I want him. But you actually look for that connection. I think sometimes that's more important than a breed
0: yeah absolutely the individual we we pick dogs by by temperament, not by the breed. I mean the breed comes in secondary in terms of you know what kind of coat fits into your lifestyle or what you know what, what are you using the dog for but but by far you you, you want to select the dog based on the individual dog 's temperament now that that being said um, you you really don't know until it, – it, it's a lot like, you know, when you met your wife. I mean, <laughs> there's probably pretty few of us who knew, like, on the first date, right? You, yeah. You, you wanted to date for a while to see if really, you know, you're compatible. And it's very much the same with, with dogs. You can get a, a pretty good idea when you adopt the dog, but it's really not until, you know, three to four weeks initially that the dog starts to, like – Settle into your lifestyle, and then you start seeing the true character of the dog, and, and then maybe another six months before you really know does this dog fit into my lifestyle or not. So that that I would I would caution people, you know, that it's it's not always love at first sight. Um, you need to you need to take a little test drive. And so what we do personally is we'll we'll foster a dog that we really like and and kind of evaluate them and, and work with the dog and over a period of three to six months then we'll really decide whether or not the dog fits into our lifestyle personally or if if this dog would be a better fit for somebody else and, and of course at that point we really know the dog so we can kind of evaluate the person coming to us looking to adopt the dog and saying yeah this is going to work for you
1: and that's an advantage that a, a professional has that you have to be a little bit more careful, I think, as an individual, because it's a little bit harder to find a home for a dog that's, you know, a year old or nine months old, um, for the average person out there. They don't have people coming to them looking for a dog, so right. we, we we generally can't just. And personally, I don't know me. If I have a dog for six months, I'm probably not giving it up. That's that's more of a individual thing, though. I think.
0: Yeah, we're, we're most professional dog trainers are kind of weird like that. We we it takes us. It takes a lot to really form a strong, strong attachment, but that, that is individual. Um, the, the other thing, you know, it's very much uh, depending on what your criteria is for the dog. So if the, the higher your criteria, uh, the more demanding you have to be in terms of what you're looking for in the dog. But um, in regard to adopting a puppy – uh, it's very much a roll of the dice. I mean, and even with an older dog, until you've spent some time with the dog, you don't really know until you've had the dog for a while, you know, whether or not it's going to fit for what you need. The, the less requirements that you have for the dog, you know, if it's just a house pet, you know, it doesn't really matter. If, yeah. it's, if it's a hunting dog that, you know, you need the dog uh, to have a lot of drive or, or a terrier to do rodent patrol on your property, um, you know, it, it's, you're going to need a little bit of time to evaluate the
1: dog. Sure, that makes sense. What are your thoughts on mixed breeds? Everybody, like you mentioned, you know, uh, these different breeds that people get attached to. But to me, a lot of mongrels, like my buddy Charlie here, you know, have some pretty big attributes.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of my best dogs have been mixes. Um, it, it's really so much more the individual temperament of the dog, and temperament and, and, and the drives, than it is the specific breed. And, you know, I know this isn't scientific, but in my experience and a lot of the experience of of, uh, not just dog trainers but also kennel operators and rescue people, it really does seem like a lot of the mixed breeds tend to be more uh, healthy. Than, than the purebred dogs. And I, I don't understand how that could be because it's not like, you know, when you have a mixed breed, it's not like you're, you're breeding a champion with a champion. So I don't know the the science behind it. But just from a purely anecdotal standpoint, it, it, in my personal experience, it really seems like a lot of the, the mixed breed dogs end up having both better temperaments and uh, better health in the long run than than some of the purebred dogs do. So That's it just true. depends. I, I
1: don't really have an explanation scientifically for it. I mean, I know – that in the dogs we've owned, we've never really had a mongrel with much of a hip dysplasia problem, and we've had some level of it in almost every purebred we've ever owned.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and I don't know if it's that there's a wider gene pool that the, the individual dogs drawn from, or, or or what, but um, you know, definitely don't don't rule out a dog just because it's not a purebred dog. I mean, a lot of times you get a really unique interesting uh dog that's that's you know you you get it i had a dog for example it was a pit bull and ridgeback mix best dog i ever had and and the only downside is that when you when you get a dog like that it's real hard to go out and get a second dog just like that um you know because it's kind of a unique thing so it just depends but don't don't let the fact that it's not a purebred dog scare you away there's some some great great mixes and a lot of the 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 purebred dogs Of today, were at one time mixes themselves way back in the day. You know, especially the working dog breeds and the hunting dog breeds. You know, there was a guy in this village who had a great dog, and he knew there was a guy in the village, uh, you know, uh, 50 miles down the road who also had a really good working dog. And they, they may not even be the same breed, but they were like, you know, this dog's got super drive, that dog's got super drive. Let's see what happens if we mix them together and see what they get. Mm -hmm. And then it works so well over successive generations that all of a sudden you have you have kind of a new breed that's popped up.
1: Yeah, and I think maybe there's there's a case for maybe part of why initial breeding work like that produces such great dogs because the motivation is purely what we can create in a pup rather than, oh, if I breed these two dogs, I can sell them for $600 a puppy or, or yeah. whatever. So it's it's a pure, yeah. a pure play of, okay, this dog's really smart and this dog's got good energy levels. Let's see what happens.
0: Right, right. And then the other factor is that, a lot of a lot of the so-called working breeds today at least here in America uh, the the bloodlines have been bred for so many generations now to simply um, walk around a show ring yeah. and what happens is the, the the dogs that are being awarded mm. that championship ribbon are are purely based on the 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 beauty or how they look or the coat and and not based on the working ability and when you have a dog that was originally designed to be a working dog breed like the doberman or the german shepherd it causes a lot of problems and you end up with a lot of dogs that no longer consistently can consistently produce uh you know working dogs so for example if you take the german shepherd dog breed uh there really isn't a consistent there really isn't an American bloodline German shepherd dog breed that can consistently produce uh, working dogs, police dogs, for example. Hmm. Um, if you go back to Germany, you kind of see a split between the bloodlines. You see the German working dog bloodlines and the German show bloodlines. But the difference with what they do in Germany versus what they do here is that even for the show bloodline dogs, the German show bloodline dogs, they at least have to pass a nominal working dog test you know they have to do bite work, they have to do tracking, and they have to do obedience. And, and even though it isn't as rigorous as it is for the the working dog bloodline, at least it's something. Yeah. I mean, here the here the dogs they don't have to do anything to be to be considered uh, to be shown and then to be considered a champion. All they have to do is is, is march around a ring. And so that's why you have these. German Shepherd dogs with these extreme angulation and, and the dogs, their hips and their, their structural integrity breaks down after two to three years of age. They're just not built to do the kind of
1: work. So it makes me think of like bodybuilding, right? You got these guys that have gotten to the point where they're like freakishly developed, but you know what? Put them in a, put them in a a hard hat, send them down into a coal mine with a shovel and a pick. They ain't going to make it for long down there. They'll be falling it, over. They might fall some ways, but they can't work.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's not functional muscle, exactly. You were, you were absolutely right. So there, there, there are a lot of, you know, pitbull pit not pit bulls, pitfalls um, hmm. that uh, that we need to be aware of before investing our, our time and our money into uh, adopting a dog. So, um, you know, really, I think one of the best ways to get around that is to find find somebody locally who has Uh, working dog experience, or if you can't, at least make friends with with somebody online or or visit a community where you can get kind of the real skinny in terms of what's going on. Now, the other thing I'd like to touch on real quick while we're on that that topic is that every few years, you get kind of a flavor flavor of the year, flavor of the decade breed, and these are usually – kind of the the designer breeds or the exotics that pop up every few years and and the promoters of these breeds like to promote their dogs as being the ultimate home and family protector that the dogs are are, they're great with kids but when 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 when, when the opportunity arises and somebody's breaking into your house these dogs will spring into action and take care of business and I, i can tell you just from from over 25 years of experience now it's Usually and largely hype, so be real careful yeah. about that. Yeah. Um. You know, let's talk about a that. Let's
1: talk about a dog's aggressive behavior when we want it. There's a lot of people that buy dogs dog and say, "Okay, now I've got a watchdog, and if somebody breaks in the house, the dog's going to bite them." And yeah. I find that many times to be kind of like putting your hope in a parachute that won't deploy. Um. A lot of dogs won't bite, or they won't bite in an effective manner. So, um, for instance, there was a stun gun that we experimented with one time. It was like a stun gun that worked in a, as a cell phone case. And all it would actually do is piss off the attacker and make them work. Right. So if your dog right. just kind of nips at, growls at, whatever, but doesn't mean to carry through, you know, a person has to, to realize there's a certain amount of training that has to go along with a dog, actually being a dog, if you want to call it an attack dog, that will attack when necessary.
0: Right, right. It, yeah, it, it's a very complicated issue because not only do you need a dog with the right temperament and the right drive, but you also need the the maintenance. Because just like you know, learning a martial art yourself, you know, it's great if you took jujitsu or karate ten years ago, but if if you don't practice it, uh, you know, when the time comes, I guess it's better than nothing. But it's it's a lot better if you if you practice that skill set. And with the dog, it's the same. It's a it's a perishable skill for the dog, just like you know, shooting is a perishable skill for us. So, um, you, you know, the analogy with, with guns is is a really good one because you, you, people who, you know, you ask them, you say, okay, if if you bought a new gun, uh, but you've never taken it to the range to test it, well, they say, well, of, of, of course I take the gun to the range to test it, and I, I, I would never keep a gun in my house that I didn't at least take to the range and, and test for it to make sure that the thing works. But when it comes to a dog, they'll say, oh, I know my dog would protect me, I, I just know it. Well, you don't really know it until you too much you TV, test it. man.
1: Yeah. Too much yeah. Lassie and Rin Tin Tin, that's what that is.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't cost that much, you know, for for you know, typically less than around 100 bucks, you can have a guy come out with the padded sleeve and pretend to break into your house and see what the dog would actually do. At least that way you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I would, with with our animals, I have to say that the 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 lesser aggressive of the two is the shepherd. He'll bark, he gets upset. We, we've actually tested Charlie, and you can walk right through the gate, but if you come in at night when you're not supposed to be there or try to come over the fence, the dog goes almost to a point where it's almost a little bit frightening to me how apeshit the dog goes. And yeah. I always try to balance that with I want to make sure the dog is willing to do what's necessary, but I also don't want a weaponized dog that's going to make a mistake either. So yeah. we do a lot of work on manners and understanding and, you know, Friends are obvious, and I think dogs have an intrinsic ability to determine that, but I think a dog can be almost too switched on. I've seen dogs that are so well-trained that given an order to attack, they'll attack anybody that their handler tells them to, regardless of who that person. They could have known that person for 100 years. doesn't matter. You're going down because I was told to.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, the problem that we run into more, more frequently than not is that your your average dog owner who's not, like, really, really into the training – uh, they, they really don't have the handling skills or, or quite frankly, the temperament to, to handle and own a, a real man stopper. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of, you know, I've looked into selling as a business model several times, selling personal protection dogs. But, you know, when you see these guys advertising in the back of Rob Report and Soldier of Fortune magazine, uh, the, typically the dogs that they're selling are not dogs that I would consider, uh, man stoppers. And the reason they do that is because, in most cases, the person who owns the dog, who's adopted the dog, can't handle a real man-stopper. The mm-hmm. dog's going to be too dominant. They're going to end up getting bit by the dog rather than than some, some attacker. Now, the other thing, and I think this is, is kind of interesting because I used to be really hardcore into uh, training protection dogs and working dogs. Um, my wife and I spent several years living in Costa Rica and then Panama and then Bogota, Colombia, where, where her family's from. And one of the things specifically in, in Costa Rica, which I, I should add is, is a lot more dangerous than than the uh, the brochures make it out to be, um, a lot of people in Costa Rica, a lot of Costa Ricans, they'll keep three or four or five little tiny dogs like chihuahuas mm-hmm. or minpins uh, rather than a big dog that's going to eat – you know, eat them out of house and home. And and their philosophy is, you know, all I need is that the dog's going to wake me up and going to alert me if somebody steps on yep. the property, and then it's my job to go get the gun or take care of take care of the the, the situation. And you think about it in in kind of a you know a, a economic hardship environment or uh, end of the world type environment even. Um, you know, it may be real hard to feed that dog that 130 pound rottweiler or 160 pound rottweiler
1: um,
0: versus you know a a couple of little dogs that eat you know less than a quarter of a cup a day Um, you know that's that's a big weight off my shoulders in regard to being able to meet my needs in in a situation where it may be hard to come by food or money or who knows what
1: well definitely and it's kind of where i was going with this is that i think for most people dogs as part of their security are a better form of security as a an alert, like an extra set of ears, eyes, an extra nose that can determine and see and hear things you can't, simply to to you know arouse you and let you know something's going on. And then the other thing is, you know perfectly well that a criminal, no matter how violent they're willing to be, wants to not be seen, wants to not be heard, wants to get on with whatever they're going to do as with as much surprise on their side as possible. And you know. A dog barking, whether it's a 140 pound shepherd or it's a 15 pound little yap dog, it's still, it's game over. And I think what I've seen, like the most value out of my dogs, is there's never anybody outside without that dog telling me there's somebody outside. And that's more right. valuable to me than the fact that the dog will bite.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, there was a book written by a guy named Jack McLean in the early '80s, I believe. The name of the book was Super Thief. It's out of print now, but he was uh, he was a cat burglar. He'd go into people's houses and, and steal stuff. And uh, eventually, he got caught. And as part of his 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 uh, his his, uh, uh, his payment back to society, he went and he wrote this book. And he interviewed. A bunch of of convicts, and he said, "You know, what would it take for you to to not hit a house if you were looking to burglarize or or uh, get into a house?" And every single one of them said, "If the house had a dog, I would just go on to the next house." Yeah. So it it you know it gets back to that making yourself a hard target, and I think that the dog presents itself as one layer of defense.
1: Yeah, definitely. I I think that might have been the same guy I saw on a talk show one time. And this guy, if he's the guy I'm thinking of, robbed, like, like the Kellogg family, right? This guy was, like, a high-end cat burglar. And he said the main way he would rob a place, he would go in during the day when people were home. Yeah, And he would go straight to the master bedroom. That's where all the jewelry, money, the small items with high value are. He'd shut the door and lock it, go ahead and, and, and ransack the place, and then go out the window. And if... Mom or Dad happened to come down the hallway to get into the bedroom while he was in there stealing he'd never get caught because the first thing one spouse does to the other is say, What honey, are you in there? No answer and then you hear him down the hall hey, the doors you lock the door no and they start arguing over who screwed up and locked the bedroom door. Well, he's just walking down the street at this point, and yeah. that ain't happening with a dog in the house
0: right but you got right. a
1: silly really lazy ass dog, yeah. I
0: I, I was in Northern California, I was still a student, I think, at the time when Pauly Kloss was kidnapped. That was a case in Northern California where, um, a guy, uh, I don't know how he picked the house, I can't remember the full story, but basically, in the middle of the night, he climbed into, uh, this, this guy's house, grabbed his daughter, the daughter was, I don't remember, maybe five or six, uh, kidnapped her, and, as I remember, it eventually killed her. And, and the thought that kept going through my mind was, you know, if they just had a dog in the house, yeah. there would have been really no way that that guy would have been able to have snuck into the house. So, it, I, I'm, I'm, you know, obviously I'm in the business, but even if I wasn't, I'd say, you know, you don't necessarily need the big Rottweiler or German Shepherd or, you know, $10,000 protection dog. Just having a dog in the house is gonna, is gonna increase your, your layers of, of defense. Um, you know what one of the other things that people in regard to prepping frequently don't think about is that you know let's say it's not the end of the world it's just that there's a lot of strikes and there's a the, the economy's just gotten terrible and um and for whatever reason they stop picking up the trash well you know one of the things that's going to happen is that with with, with trash built up, you're going to see a dramatic increase in the rodent population. Mm. And so I think, you know, really a good, a good idea is to have a dog – I mean, it, it, a lot of dogs will do, will do the job, but specifically the terrier was bred to help control the rodent population. So having a, a little dog like a rat terrier or a Jack Russell terrier that has a lot of hunt drive – um I think could be really beneficial. What are your thoughts?
1: Oh, definitely. I we had a fox terrier when I was a kid named Spot, and I watched that dog in like one afternoon gulp down about twenty field mice. Like he'd be sitting wow. on the porch next to you, and all of a sudden his ears would go up and the tail would go out, and he'd just run, and you'd see the head cock up and boom, and come sit back down and just sit there and just like like they were potato chips or something. That's so, pretty cool. You know, I mean, and, and our dog, he's he's got a little bit of the the pit bull side going, and I think you know there's terrier there. And if he figures out that there's a rat somewhere, he is obsessed. He will not. You can't pull him away. He, he'll just stay there until it makes a mistake, and he'll kill it. And I think yeah, that's, that's a cool dog. really really awesome because I don't want rats in my my bird food for my my dogs. Yeah yeah absolutely
0: absolutely uh you know there, there's a, a sport that's becoming real popular they 're called barn hunts oh. where you can you can get online and look and they, there'll be groups that um, they set up a, uh basically a hunt where they'll they 'll take a rat. Uh, and they'll, they'll put it in like a, a tube, and they'll seal the tube off, and they they poke holes in the tube so there's air, and then they'll hide the rat in like a stack of hay. Okay, you can
1: take
0: you can take your dog, and and they time it to see you know which it dog
1: can find the
0: rats, yeah. And so it's, it's, you know, it's kind of a fun thing to do with your dog if you, you know, having to do on a Saturday, you go and spend 15 bucks and, and see how well or how fast your dog can, can hunt rats.
1: That's Awesome. I'm on barnhunt.com right now. That's, that's the Barn Hunt Association. I'd never heard of that. And they got this mean ass looking little terrier growling at a, like a can with holes and I guess the rats inside of. So I guess no rats are harmed in the, the, uh, in the sport. Um, God forbid. Yeah. God forbid we harm a rat. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's pretty
0: interesting. Too too bad they couldn't put politicians in those tubes, and then, well, now I'm getting off topic, though, right?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, the the politician hunt, I would take the shepherd for that one. But on the size issue, I think there's kind of a balance, like, because I do think there's a lot of utility in these smaller, fast dogs. Uh, They have a lot less health problems. They generally live longer. Uh, They don't usually have hip problems because they're not carrying the mass around. On the other side, the security issue, whether or not the dog bites, if a dog barks, it gets somebody's attention. And I mean, I have to admit, it is a bit comforting when somebody's kind of walking down our road here, because we don't live in a great place or a bad place. It's a normal kind of rural area, and you see them kind of eyeballing things. And that giant German Shepherd runs out there and barks. They don't know the smaller dogs and one that actually would bite them. But you can see when they look at that dog like, no, I don't want to go in there. Um, yeah I, I think there's an absolute value there right There is, absolutely absolutely
0: um it, you know and I and I know when when my wife goes out jogging I you know I want her jogging with a big doberman or 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 rod, you know some kind of big intimidating dog because it's it's that it, it's just going to shut them down right yeah. away when they see that dog you know stay away so you know, from people across the victims. street
1: It looks you yeah, see victims exactly. it's not that I probably couldn't still victimize this person it's just I'm a criminal. That's what I do. And I want a right. victim that's, that's, that's better suited. I'll, I'll find someone else. I'll tell you something a little off the topic, but, but funny. I had an office one time. It was in an area where there'd been a lot of break-ins. I put a sign in the window that said, warning venomous reptiles kept on, on site. We never got broken into the guy yeah. on both sides of us in the strip mall on both sides got broken into on the same night. No one broke in. <laughs> so apparently people are also afraid of snakes.
0: <laughs> right 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 i 'll tell you a funny story though when i When I first moved to Costa Rica, I moved into a, a very middle class Costa Rican neighborhood, and i I found i, I didn 't have a dog at the time, I was kind of in between dogs, and I found uh, a local breeder who sold me an adult Rottweiler that we named Einstein. And this dog was a super dominant dog. The dog was um, the dog was kind of a pain in the butt, to be honest. But um, but had him for about a week. Evaluated the dog, realized that th- this wasn't a good fit for me. Um, within that week, I had bought him one of those giant dinosaur-like bones, right? Yeah. And um, ended up giving the dog back to the breeder. Said this wasn't what I was looking for. Kept that giant dinosaur bone on my front porch. Um, about. A- about a week later, um, I was upstairs having a migraine, um, had every light in the house on, and, and some guys pull up real fast, drill the, the lock out of the front gate, kick the gate in, um, drill the, the lock out of the front iron door. Yeah. Kick the door in and trip over the bone as they 're coming into the house now it, it all ended up i didn 't end up getting hurt or anything. I, I think they thought nobody was home, uh, even though every light in the house was on but um, but just the same they they realized that the the television wasn 't there and they they took off running but um, it's a good idea it it helps, but I just you know I, I wouldn't rely on that because they're they're criminals, they're stupid, so a lot of times uh, they don't put two and two together, but yeah, but absolutely do it, you know, put the signs up, uh you know it certainly can't hurt, it certainly can't hurt,
1: yeah, um can we talk about some basic training, how do we get dogs to listen to us, go where we want them to go, follow us,
0: sure um y- you know, Training is, is really about establishing a way of communicating with your dog so that the commands are both understood and they have meaning. Because it's, it's one thing if your dog understands what sit means, but if it doesn't have any meaning to him, like, well, why should I, why should I stay sitting, then you're not going to get a lot of results. And in order to do that, the dog really needs to see you as what we call the, the pack leader or the alpha dog. So dogs inherently... Uh, they're hardwired this way. They're social pack animals, and what that means is that they perceive you and anybody else that lives in your house as being part of the pack. The pack is perceived by the dog as having kind of like a linear social hierarchy or, or a pecking order. So at the top of the pecking order is what we call the alpha dog and then all the way down. So if the dog doesn't see you as a strong leader, he's going to to assume that position in the pack for the survival of the pack and what that means is that when you tell him to lie down or you tell him to be quiet uh... he may or may not do it because he's the shot caller not you. So what we do with the training is we, we try and uh, establish a proper relationship between the dog and the owner so that the dog sees you as his pack leader. And then from that point on, it's just a matter of learning the right technique. But once you're the pack leader, you can get your dog to listen to you anywhere that you go. And, and that's what we try and do with our, our free weekly newsletters. We're sharing the techniques that top dog trainers are using to get maximum results in, in minimal time. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it definitely does. I think there's a there's a whole component that um what's his name? The dog whisperer guy Caesar talks about with energy. And and I you know you can believe whatever you want about energy metaphysical or otherwise, but I think there is certainly a way that dogs perceive us and if we don't act like we're in charge, they assume we're not.
0: Right, right. It, it, the funny thing about dog training is that there's kind of two primary camps and, and they're kind of like Republicans and Democrats. Um, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking probably well them, both of them are, are full of it, but I don't mean it in that regard. What I mean is that you have on one side, you have the cookie-brevery trainers and these are the people that they just want to basically throw hot dogs at the dog and expect that the dog's going to listen to them. And, and dogs will learn with that approach, but the problem is that there's three phases to training. There's the teaching phase where the dog learns what to do. And that you could do that with the hot dog thing. That's fine. But then there's the, the reinforcement phase and the proofing phase. And wh- when you take a cookie bribery approach to training, you really have no way so – there's no technique for working through that reinforcement and proofing phase. So on the other side, in the other camp, and this is the camp that we fall on, is what we call balance trainers. And balance trainers look to – kind of work with the dog in a very natural way where you're kind of replicating the way that dogs communicate with each other as well as with us. So what we do is we give the dog the opportunity to make the decision, but we control the outcome until Uh the dog's 100 percent, right, until the dog's proofed. Um, So if the dog makes the right decision, he gets nothing but praise. If he makes the wrong decision, he gets a correction, which is different than punishment in a colloquial sense, but a correction and then the opportunity to make the right decision. And we assume that dogs are intelligent animals, and once you set that up with with consistency and with timing and with motivation, then you're cooking with gas. So the the big mistake that most dog owners make is that they give the dog too much freedom until the dog's ready to, to handle that level of freedom. So it, it, it's like, you know, if you have a kid that's 12 or 13 years old, you're not going to leave him uh, in the house unsupervised and go to Vegas for the weekend because <laughs> he's going to throw a party. He's going to burn yeah. the house down. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's the same with the dog. So, you know, until the dog's 100%, you want to control the outcomes until you're getting, you're getting 100% consistency. Does that make sense?
1: It makes sense. And it makes me think of, like, how I housebreak a dog. I basically don't give the dog the opportunity to fail. So I use, when I'm housebreaking a pup, I'd use crate training. And some people think that's a horrific thing or whatever. The dog's a den creature. They like their crate. You know, when I first took Charlie's crate away, he was looking for it. Like, what would you do with my crate, dude? I want it out of the house. Now you don't need it anymore. But what I mean by that is, so we'll take the dog out and make sure that he's, he's urinated or taken a dump or, or whatever. And so he's had a movement. You bring him in the house, you give him some freedom in the house and then he goes in the crate. And then right. he comes out of the crate, the first thing that happens is he goes out the door, and in almost no time at all, it becomes completely foreign to the dog that it would ever go to the bathroom in the house. Like, since it's right. ever done it, it just, like, I, you know, it makes me think of my ducks. Like, when I set them up, the first time I opened the, the, the gate that they had never been through before, they wouldn't come out. They're like, you always open the other gate. And it took them a while to even realize, okay, I can go, I can go through here and it's safe. Okay, I'll do that. So I think a dog that when a dog's not given the opportunity to fail, there's a lot less correction required and it can't do it with everything. But things like housebreaking, that's like, I've heard all kinds of stories of how long it takes people to housebreak a dog. And it usually takes us like a week. The dog just won't do it. It just, it's foreign to them. And they don't like to, they might go in the crate, but they'll only do that once or twice before they figure that out.
0: Yeah. What we found is that. It, it's typically, if you're going to adopt a puppy, um, you know, puppy being less than four months of age, um, if you have the option, it's better to adopt uh, a puppy during the summer months rather than during the winter months because okay. if, if the breeder smart, what they're doing is they're keeping the dog in an exercise pen outside on the grass. Um, whereas during the winter, they're typically keeping the puppies in an exercise pen uh. on laminate or in, in concrete in the garage, and so what happens is when the dog, when the puppies get conditioned to go outside on the grass, it makes housebreaking a whole lot easier. So. Um, that that's a good tip for you. And then in general, yeah, I, I'm a big believer in the crate. In fact, you you'll never find any professional dog person, you know, any good professional dog dog person not using a crate because it's 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 a it's a great tool. Um, but even if you don't, I mean, if you look around, like I'm looking around my office right now for my dog, and he, he's a, a, a male border collie, and I'm looking over, and he's actually sleeping underneath my wife's desk. And, and why underneath the desk? Because that that's like a little den. And so they, they actually seek out those types of things. And, and by using a crate, it's very similar to, you know, you, you put a baby in a crib or a playpen, you know, if you have to go and take a phone call or something because you, you don't want the baby to, you know, crawl over and stick his fingers in the electrical socket. So you, you limit his range of motion and you prevent him from getting in trouble until you can kind of keep an eye on him and teach him, you know, what the appropriate thing to do is. So with housebreaking, for example, there, there's five keys to housebreaking in a hurry. The first one is that you want to keep one eye on the dog and one eye on whatever else you're doing until the dog is 100%. And if you can't, you're going to confine him to that crate or an exercise pan outside like a kennel run, for example. Um, and then number two is correct the dog any time that he does it in the house. So you're, you're interrupting the behavior. You're creating a negative association with doing it in the house. And then the dog is able to juxtapose that with going outside where he gets the praise. So he gets, he gets kind of a double positive when he goes outside. He gets number one to do it and not be interrupted. And number two, he gets the praise. So that's a double positive. Um, And then number three, is that if you want to set up a very consistent feeding and watering schedule. Now, one of the, the big mistakes people make with dogs is that they just free feed. And what happens is the dog has free access to food and water before the dog's house broken, and it's, it's really, really difficult to figure out when the dog's going to go. So, if you put the dog on a consistent schedule, you know that typically a dog will defecate or urinate either uh, immediately after feeding and watering, or within 20 minutes, or within an hour. And so you can kind of time that, and once you really get to know that dog's schedule i I had a little rottweiler puppy several years ago that he would go literally 23 minutes after we fed him so we (laughs) knew that 22 and a half minutes we were taking him down the steps out into the yard because it it was common whether or not you know we were in the house or out so we want to set up the dog for success and make sure that he gets praised for doing it where we want him to do it uh, you know rather than getting a correction for where we don't want him to do it and then the uh, the fourth thing that we want to do is um, set up a specific spot and a specific command. So um, by taking the dog out to a specific place in your yard, you're getting the dog conditioned to go in that spot. And then we like to use a command, so we use get busy. And you're yep. going to keep saying get busy, get busy, get busy, uh, and continue saying that while he's peeing or, or, or defecating. And then after he's finished, you, you, you then praise him. Uh, so what that does is so that – uh, even if you're traveling or, you know, you're staying in a hotel, you're able to take the dog out behind the hotel and then tell him, get busy. And the dog immediately knows, oh, okay, I'm supposed to go now and I'm supposed to go here. And then the, the fifth tip is that if the dog does have an accident, because let's face it, if it's a puppy or even a new dog that hasn't been housebroken, there's a good chance that they will have an accident. Um, so after you correct them and take them outside, uh, you want to clean it up with an enzymatic cleaner, not a commercial cleaner. See, Typically, commercial cleaners will just mask the scent, and the dog can still smell that scent, and he'll go back to it. So you Uh, want to get a product like like Nature's Miracle, which you can get at almost any pet store, or you can make your own by using one part vinegar to one part water. Uh, The problem with doing that is your house ends up smelling like a Caesar salad.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, Yeah.
0: exactly. But it works. It works. I'll tell
1: you, I think it's a, a great thing to train the dog to go on command. Um, and the way we did it with Max was when he would start taking a dump, I would tell him to go poo when he was already doing it. I'd go poo. And right. he, the, the mind starts to form an association with, with that activity because I hear that. And yeah, then good dog if you did. Because, and I guess we haven't really done it as much with Charlie because we have three acres perimeter fenced and just open the door and leave them out. And if we're gone for six hours, they just stay outside. So it's not as big a concern and they know to ask to go out if they need to go out. But when we had Max up in Arkansas, we didn't have that perimeter fence. And if I had to leave for four or five hours, he was going to be in the house. And, well, you want him to go before you leave. So you let him out and he's sniffing around and, you know, they won't go because they don't feel like it. But if you train that behavior, then you can get that done before you leave and you're probably not coming home to a steaming pile.
0: Right, right. I mean, all dogs learn through association. I mean, that's, that's just whether it's housebreaking or teaching uh, response to a specific command so you're, you're absolutely right on that and then you know from a, a proper standpoint let's say you know we we got to get out of town we're on the road um it's certainly you can imagine how it would help if if you pull over for a pit stop and you're able to tell the dog hey go go now now's the time to go yeah you know, let's not leave it up to chance i mean it, it, it's still obviously the dog has to have something in the tank in order to to go but uh having the command definitely makes it easier
1: and they usually have something i mean you know you could you could have a third full tank and empty, and it takes longer before it's full again. I mean that's right, that's right. kind of the way I look at it. I if the dog literally, like you're trying to get the dog to take a dump, and the dog literally, is like, dude, I don't gotta go. I'll I'll let it go at a point, but you know you, you at least make what they call the old Chicago try. I think is what they used to call it. Right, uh, right. On the breed thing, you have some in your notes here about some of these exotic breeds that people are pushing out, Like a, I don't even know these two dogs, uh, a cane corso. I think is a mastiff and a, a pressa can can Pres- Presa canario. canario. Right. are these dogs worth their hype or whatever's around them? Not, not in my mind.
0: Um, it, it, and again, it's, I'm sure there's somebody out there with a pressa canario saying, "Well, I have this dog and he'll bite." Yada yada. Um, with with any breed, it's a roll of the dice. I mean, even if you take a really established breed like like the Rottweiler or the Belgian Malinois or the German Shepherd, it's still a roll of the dice. But when you have an exotic breed what happens is um you have an even less proven breed and mm. and when it comes to the security of my family i i want i want a, a dog from a breed that's been proven uh, so for example if i'm adopting a puppy i want the best odds that that puppy is going to be able to grow up and do do bite work or have the type of temperament to to do the kind of work that i want um and y- y- you wouldn't go out and buy a car from some new manufacturer who says this is the best car because it's got this, this, and this. Well, yeah. How does it rank up? You know, how, or has it been in a race before? You know, has it been in competitions? How, how many competitions has it been in? And there's people out there who say, oh, there's a difference between competition dogs and, and and street dogs. Yes, that's true. But a good dog should be able to do it all. I mean, a good breed should be able to do it all. And and if the dog can't can't do um, you know competition work then, you know, the, the bar for personal protection work is is much lower, generally. Now, there are some attributes, like typically a, a sport dog will require more prey drive. And, and let me back up. There's When it comes to a personal protection dog, there's typically two drives that we look for. A uh, drive is like an extension of an instinct. So, you know, prey drive, food drive, sex drive, et cetera, et cetera. For protection work, uh, we're looking at basically two drives. We're looking at the prey drive and then we're looking at the defense drive. And so ideally the perfect dog will have a perfect 50-50% balance between prey drive and defensive drive. The prey drive is what allows the dog to move forward and to go after the guy. The defensive drive is what gives the dog like that, that tenacity, that like, I'm going to keep fighting the through courage. it. That, when it
1: comes that down and I'm yeah. not going to turn tail and run when, when it's r- obvious there is really a fight on.
0: Exactly. So with dogs that are 100% prey drive, you'll see a lot of dogs that compete in the protection dog sports that are pure prey drive dogs Um, and they do great in the sport context but they know it's just a game now that that doesn't necessarily mean that they won't be good in a personal protection context but without that defensive drive what happens is if the dog gets gets hurt or gets intimidated or you know his foot gets stepped on or somebody has a knife and stabs the dog the dog says oh wait a minute game over i'm I'm not playing this." no longer
1: a game yeah
0: Right, and so with the the defensive drive, you have that that balance that the dog says, you know what, bring it. I'm going to go after you harder. You you hit me, I'm going to hit you back harder. Um, so that's what we're really looking for in a good personal protection dog is a balance of the two. Now, if you only have the defensive drive, what happens is the dog will, uh, you know, if the dog's cornered, he'll fight and, and he'll fight very strong, but he won't go he won't go out to confront yeah. the threat. So we we want a dog that has a real nice balance. Um another another kind of leads to another question that people frequently ask is you know, I I don't want to let the dog uh, get to know people. You want know, I get the dog, I'm not going to socialize him. I'm not I'm not going to uh let other people come up to him. And let me tell you, this is probably the the dumbest thing you can do. I agree. Uh, what, You'd agree?
1: I'd agree 100%. I think that's a dumbass thing to do. I think the, a non-socialized dog is an accident waiting to happen.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a ticking time bomb. Um, so you you want a real confident dog, and you want a dog that you know. That will work, in my opinion, will work like a light switch. You know, I, I'm the one who decides, you know, who the dog bites, and I'm not going to leave that choice up to the dog because the dog doesn't know the difference between a true attacker and Uncle Louis, who hasn't, you know, we haven't seen in 10 years. Uncle Louis shows up and he says, "Hey, my boy, how you doing? Get a big hug," and he's wearing a parka, yeah. you know, because it's cold outside, and the dog goes, "Bam, I'm on him." Yeah. So I, I, want the dog to work as, as a light switch. Now, th- there is context, and, you know, the, the dog, dogs do learn context, so they, they do, they are smart enough to know that, you know, if I'm in the yard, and this guy's not supposed to be in the yard, a good dog will, will typically make that differentiation. But even so, you know, in modern, in modern society, um, you know, if you live anywhere where there's neighbors, or you have a gardener, or a meter reader, I don't want the dog making the decision as the yeah. to who to bite.
1: Yeah, and I worry too about things like, you know, friendly John Law coming around, you know, the sheriff's department, or whoever, just to check on the place. And, you and, know, because it, it seems lately that cops will shoot a dog without a second thought. Right. And the last thing you need is the dog giving the cop any belief that it's necessary. Right. Uh, and then there's right. an issue there because, I mean, there's something about uniforms. Like, our postman, we're rural, so he wears street clothes. Charlie's mm-hmm. cool with him. The FedEx guy's smart, brings biscuits. So Charlie's cool with him. UPS dudes in a uniform. Charlie does not like the UPS guy. It's something about he looks different. And it's because he looks in that, that uniform look. I mean, there's the you know, postmen have dealt with it for years. There's a certain you know, certain looks tell a dog like you're different, and different is bad. So we've worked with him, uh, but the biggest things we've had to try to teach the the UPS dude is don't try to pet him through the fence. Yeah, and so there's this, like you have to train the other party too to a degree. Like the dog knows if you're outside the fence, you're not really a problem. But you start sticking your hand through the fence, and he's already told you, "I don't like you." You're not making friends. <laughs> <to him. laughs> don't keep doing and it. The yeah. FedEx dude just tosses him a milk bone. So now, now when the FedEx truck comes, he runs out there. There's a different association. Yeah, sure. yeah, this guy's cool. Sure. He brings me, you know, my my dog food on Amazon Prime, and he brings me biscuits
0: yeah and think about it from the dog's perspective in, in regard to the postman. you know the postman walks up on the property, so already the, the, the guy's presence there is putting pressure on the dog. He moves closer to the house, closer to the house, more and more pressure. The dog's going, you know he, he's elevating in his territorial aggression. Um, finally, the guy comes up, he sticks the, the, the letters through the slot in your door or, or leaves the package or whatever. Yeah. The dog's barking his head off, and what does he do? The, the postal carrier turns around and he runs back to his truck. And right? goes away. And so in the- in the, yeah, in the dog's mind, guess what I just did? I just scared him away, and then he comes <laughs> tomorrow, and that behavior gets reinforced. Yeah,
1: yeah. So
0: every time, it builds it up more and more and more. So uh, you know, there's this kind of a self – the situation presents itself as a self-reinforcing behavior that from the dog's perspective, the dog's thinking, oh, man, I must be the the, the, the the biggest badass on the block because this guy comes here every single day, and I scare him off every single day.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's an Sir. interesting way to to think about it in their their terms. There's a meme on Facebook right now. and It's like two little dogs looking out the window, and there it says something like, "So far, I've protected Mom from 37 murderous mailmen, and you know, five, uh, a, a, a frightening bag blowing down the street, and like three other like 17 Girl Scouts, and and yeah. still my 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 devotion goes unappreciated." Right, that is right. kind of how the dog thinks about. It. I scared them away. They left. Yeah. so Therefore, it worked. Yeah. Yeah, when we, when we do
0: protection training work, what, we do is we have the the handler stand behind the dog with you know basically a tight leash so that the dog feels that 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 confidence that the owner's right behind him and then you're you're moving forward into a threshold zone to get a response from the dog and as soon as you see any type of you know forward aggressive response you're rewarding that as as the decoy the guy wearing the padded sleeve you're rewarding that behavior by then running away and turning yourself into prey drive which Mm -hmm. which the dog sees as like oh okay builds up the dog's confidence so you could really understand from the dog's perspective um, how similar the postal carrier situation would be coming onto the property like that and then running back to the truck. So
1: yeah, yeah well, that's, that's a good point too. We should probably talk about right there that one of the things we have to deal with as, as as human beings is the potential to run across a dog that's not ours that is behaving somewhat aggressive. And and right. that behavior is exactly what you don't want to do in that situation. The back off the 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 running away, any type of of, of giving in tells that dog that being more aggressive will be effective. Now, yeah. you're being yep. attacked, literally attacked. It's a different thing, but I'm th- I'm talking more about the dog with the ears down, a little bit of a growl. He might walk away, he might come after you, you don't know yet. If you give that dog weakness, you're incentivizing that dog to come after you.
0: Absolutely, and I'll I'll tell you a little secret that's known by a lot of police dog trainers is is that most dogs, including most protection trained dogs, and including a high percentage of police dogs, um, if the attacker knows how to read the dog and knows how to put pressure on the dog, they can run a dog off. Hmm. Which you know goes goes counter to what we're kind of led to believe that these dogs are you know super super strong and would would, would bite like anything. Like fight up
1: the air, music's played, kids chasing on bicycles. It's awesome. They're they're indestructible. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: they're, exactly. They're, they're, they're
1: so at the end, they're dogs. I mean, that's
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no no, I mean there there are certain dogs that are you know strong enough in character and training and have the have the whole package that you're just not going to be able to run off. But but a, a lot of them a lot of them you can. Now in in the context of police work, typically they're they're dealing with somebody who's not running uh you know, full frontal towards the dog. They're actually yeah. you know running away and, and or so hiding that requires a car less or Right. English. Yeah, I mean to right, them exactly.
1: out by the ankle or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I mean, for, 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 my life, and, you know, we, we live in, in, uh, kind of semi-suburban, semi-country kind of area. Um, you know, I just want the dog to, to wake me up, let me know somebody is there, and yep. then I'll, I'll take care of things from there. So, I, 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 the current dogs that we have, I haven't even done, you know, actual protection dog training, um, because I just haven't felt the need for it. So.
1: I yeah
0: yeah yeah it's just but i I do recognize that let 's say you 're in a situation where y- your wife has a stalker or you know or, or a single woman living by herself or a single man living by themselves for that matter um, and they 're in a jurisdiction or they 're in some kind of predicament where they can 't have a gun or who knows what um, you know the, 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 there is a um, there is a time and a place for that type of dog it just requires. Uh, so much maintenance. I mean think about uh, having to go – I mean for my money, I, I would go once a week to, to keep the dog fresh and keep, to keep the dog sharp, which means that you got to drive down to your local club or to your local trainer's place or, or have them come to you yeah. uh, and set aside that time to work the dog to keep the dog fresh and sharp. Again, it's like you wouldn't, you wouldn't practice with your gun once every two years. You know, you'd practice as much as you can, especially if you knew you had an active threat. Yeah, you know, you'd be you'd be going to the, the the range hopefully every week or or more. And and it's really the same thing with a, a trained personal protection dog. So if I can yeah. leave and, your viewers and, and, and with kind of coming, anything, to coming that.
1: back around on that, that's why I kind of feel most homesteaders would be better off with a a good collie, you know, like an old fashioned country collie, or a border collie, or a yeah. uh, a, a, a mongrel, or a, a, a cur. I mean, like just an old cur dog. I mean, those dogs are loyal. They protect kids. They they know they're they're really good. Like hers seem to be really good about knowing. Like even if they're not completely fenced in, this is my area, and I stay here. And they let you know when something's going on. And I think that is the most valuable security that my dogs provide for me is just letting me know someone's there.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and so much of it just depends on the individual dog. I mean, it's it's. My, my tendency is to want to draw the analogy towards you know races in, in humans, but it, it, that wouldn't be a perfect analogy either because yeah. there, there are certain traits that certain breeds typically have, whereas you know with, with humans, it's humans are humans. But um, but but that being said, you know I, I could find um, I could find two Saint Bernards, and one of those Saint Bernards will more likely have a temperament like a Chihuahua than than, than two St. Bernards with a typical St. Bernard temperament. So it really just depends on the individual dog. Um, now that being said, that being said, people ask me all the time, well, what, what would, you, if you had to close your eyes and just pick one good specimen from any breed and, you, you know, you wanted a dog to keep an eye on the house and, and, and easily train to, to protect your wife and your kids and have a, a balanced temperament, what breed, what one breed would it be? Um, and, and you can't pick the breed, so you got to say to your brother who has no dog experience, "Get me one of these. What breed would it be?" So for, for me, it would be the Rottweiler, and that's yeah. not even my favorite breed in general. But just from my my professional experience, um, they have they typically, if you get a good one, have very balanced temperament, and you can teach them to to bite, do the bite work relatively easy. Um, they're they're a lower energy dog. Uh, easier to live with the coat is is fairly easy to maintain it's not like a high maintenance coat like 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 some of the german shepherds for example um so uh that that that's where i would go i wouldn't go with with uh, the the dogo argentine or the presa canario or any uh, even you know the american bulldog it's just You can find good individual dogs within those breeds, but it's always a roll of the dice. And and when we're talking about percentages, what is your best, the best odds of getting a good dog? Um, I go with the Rotwater. I,
1: I I would say I, you know, would agree with that to a large degree. I love Rots. They're great dogs. I think that if you took the bite workout and you just said, I wanted a well-balanced dog that will fit into a family and bark and, and do all the, the other things that we've been talking about, I'd have to say I'd lean toward a Labrador. I yeah, think I like, can, I'd be right with you. So bad. Like they just yeah. want you to be happy with them. And that makes them easy to train, but they're not right. a good dog for, for, you know, training to bite. They just. Yeah. They, yeah. But, it's not, not the right. But oddly enough, there's more people who go to the ER from being bit by them than German Shepherds or Rottweilers or Pitbulls. Because so yeah. many people will have them. And all, that's, I think the other thing is people don't get all dogs bite. It's what they do. Right. It's just right. how, when, and how effective, et cetera.
0: Yeah, although we, we do, in the professional, professional adult training community, we, we do see, um certain breeds that tend to have more, uh, more aggression problems. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, the, the, the breed that has the most, that, that we see, um people coming through our doors saying, help me, I've got a problem Hold with aggression. Hold on,
1: let me see if I can guess. I have it's a it. chihuahua.
0: Yeah, it's a chihuahua.
1: Yeah. They're so yeah, absolutely.
0: Bad. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they're so overbred, you yeah. know, and every everyone's grandmother is breeding them, and and the requirement to breed them is what you have one, I have one, let's breed them.
1: Yeah, you
0: know. So, so there, there, there's that. Um, the, getting back to the lab, uh, I do want to warn your listeners that there are are two. Predominant bloodlines within the, the Labrador Retriever breed. Um, you have the hunting bloodline dogs, and you have more of the the show line, or, or some, some people call them the English English Lab bloodlines. Um, just be aware of what you're getting, because the the hunting bloodline dogs can be very difficult to live with. They're high drive dogs. They're high energy dogs. Um, they're constantly go 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 go. Whereas the the, the show line dogs, or the the English English uh, Labrador Retriever dogs are much easier to live with. So just, I'm not saying don't get one or the other, but just just be aware of what you're getting. One of them
1: lifestyle. I think the person ten acre homestead, the high energy dog has plenty of shit to do. But if you're gonna put put the dog, you know, on on the floor for eight hours a day while you're at work and come home and then walk him around the city park, yeah, they're gonna be be miserable if they're, you know, the dog that would prefer to be out hunting ducks and doves. Yeah. Exactly. And exactly. okay, well, if, if you need a dog, as a duck dog. Oh my God, that is. That's the one to go with. That is. They just love the water. They can swim really well. They there's it's, it's not work. Waterfowl hunting for a Labrador is not work. It is play. The whole yeah. it's Play and their vision. Like I don't know how they can tell, but you have birds out of the distance that are too far for you to know whether they're ducks or God knows what. The dog knows, man. I can I, I go there supposedly see black and white or whatever, but whatever it is, that dog that we used to have for duck hunting, when there were birds in the distance, if they were not ducks or not something we could shoot, he'd just kind of look over and yeah, whatever. If they were ducks, the he- the ears were down, the you know, you could see the, the, like the, the quivering and like, oh, here they come, dude, here they come, make sure you shoot them. And that damn dog, if you missed, looked at you like you sucked. I swear to God, <laughs> it looked at you like, what is wrong with you? And we had a Brittany like that too. That if he put up a bird, like we used to hunt pheasants, and if you put up a bird and you missed it, he looked over his shoulder like he was telling you to eat shit. And the one thing he never understood was where we lived. We couldn't shoot hen pheasants; only ringnecks. So if he put up hens and you didn't shoot, he, he'd get pissed. Like he he wouldn't want to hunt. You'd have to get him back into it because he was like, "Why would I do all that?" Like it was just like a good hunting dog. They're they're so into it that they're as vested in the outcome as you are that that's kind of how i always felt with good with good bird dogs
0: that's cool that's cool yeah i don't have that much experience with with the hunting dogs with 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 using them for hunting i i I grew up as a city boy um it just isn't within my my area of expertise um i will tell you though that as an alternative to the labrador a really good breed is the chesapeake bay retriever Mm. Uh, that being said uh, very similar to the lab, they do tend to be a little bit more dominant. So going into it, you kind of you kind of need to be honest with yourself. You know, can I handle a more dominant dog? Is it worth having a dog that may be a little bit more stubborn? Uh, but the trade-off is that the, the dog has more you know has more drive, like just just won't quit. Um, so also also you know very cool cool breed. I mean, there's so many of them, and it's it, it, the analogy to cars or guns. Is, is very appropriate because it's really, you know, what do you like? What fits you? What fits your personality? What fits your lifestyle? You know, can, can, can I afford to have a, a long haired dog that sheds, you know, all year round? You know, do I want a dog that, you know, if, if there's a, a really terrible economy and I lose my job for a couple of years, I don't have income. Do I want a dog that I have to take to, to the groomer every, uh, every month? Uh, I don't. I, <laughs> I don't want a real easy, real yeah. easy coat to take care of. Um, you know, and also a real healthy dog. You know, you yeah. get a lot of these breeds that are, are just kind of, they have a reputation for having all kinds of health problems. Um, you know, why? Why, why? why get into a relationship from the outset that's, that you're, you're going to have a lot of problems? So,
1: yeah, um, Yeah, that's like, like answering the personal ad for a girl that says I'm introverted and I was abused by my father and my last seven boyfriends uh, <laughs> and I have a drug problem. Yeah, well, well, hook up with me. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, yeah,
0: exactly, <laughs> it, 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 exactly. And there, I know there are people out, out there thinking, well, you know that that could be fun. Well, yeah. it could be for, for about a week. You <laughs> for about a week.
1: So you, not um, me, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, and, and there really are. There really, I, I really uh, would recommend that anybody considering the German Shepherd dog breed to to find a breeder. Uh, you know, again, the, the, the difference between the American bloodline dogs and the, the German bloodline dogs, um, it doesn't mean you have to go to Germany. You can find a breeder here that is breeding German bloodline dogs. So my, my recommendation is to go with a, a either you know, depending on what your need is either a German show bloodline dog or a German working bloodline dog, but stay away from the American bloodline dogs. It's because we're just seeing way too much problems with that. And same thing with the Doberman. The Doberman, uh, Doberman used to be uh, a breed of choice for, for working dog. And, and sometime around the late 80s, early 90s, a lot of the people who were into working Dobermans just made that switch to the Belgian Malinois because it was getting, uh, harder and harder to find a really good Doberman that you know had the the temperament to do the work and and didn 't have the the physical problems and the health problems the breed has a ton of ton of health problems and I love the breed i mean one of the smartest, one of the most trainable uh, of all breeds but So many health problems that I'd have to really, it'd have to be a really, really special dog before I took a dog, a Doberman into my house.
1: Are these things why some of the police departments seem to be moving more and more away from German Shepherds? I mean, at one time, the German Shepherd was the police dog. Like, you saw a canine unit, there's German Shepherd in in the vehicle with the guy. And and now they seem to be broadening out to quite a few other breeds and, and less Shepherds.
0: Yeah, the, the Belgian Malinois, which, again, for your listeners' benefit, is kind of a smaller, lighter version of a German Shepherd type dog, um, is, is really, uh, percentage-wise, is becoming uh, uh, more and more frequently used, and and there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, uh, up to this point, anyway, is there've been a lot less health problems because the gene pool is very, very small, and you don't have so many pet breeders. I mean, the people, it, it's kind of an ugly dog. It's not a it's not a real beautiful, you know, good-looking dog like the German Shepherd is, uh, and partially because of that, and partially because they just weren't that well known up until. In the last couple of years, uh, the only ones who were breeding them were breeding them specifically for working ability and then th- there 's kind of a third reason also is that when you have a really fast athletic fifty five to sixty five to seventy five pound dog, um, the body holds up a lot better. They can scale walls, they can jump in the back of a truck um, they, they, they don 't break down as much as a hundred 110-pound German Shepherd dog does. Uh, so that that's part of the reason. Now the counter to that is, for example, here in in, in Reno, Nevada, um, I've talked with some of their people, and they they kind of went towards the Belgian Malinois, and I think maybe they they just didn't get dogs from the right people because they had a lot of problems with handler aggression. So the dogs were turning turning around and biting biting the officers. You know, they mm. get so. So worked up, you know, so ready. Let me at him, let me at him, let me at him. And then they, they just, they didn't have an outlet and they turn around and it was, it was too much dog for, for even the officers to handle. And again, these are guys that are working on the dog, you know, at least, at least every week. Um, so they're kind of moving back towards the German Shepherd dog breed. But I think that in general, it's, you know, like, like any new product, you know, the ones, the providers who are providing the crummier dogs are going to get weeded out and the people who are breeding the better dogs will, will survive, at least I'm, I hope they will.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. And I think that a lot of it depends on, like, the department, too, and, like, what are they using the dogs for? Are they using them for drug search, or are they using them to, you know, as part of a raid, or are they using them for more, like, control? Like, I know my brother-in-law works down in Grand Prairie, and he said they they have, I think, four four canines in service, and two of them are very large German Shepherds, like, big, even for the breed, like my dog size breed, like 130 pounds mm. dogs. And... That, like, one of the things they'll have these dogs do is basically put a guy down. They'll just run and they almost oh, more like a ram. And they'll, they'll drop their head right into the gut. And, a 40 pound dog moving at full speed hits you in the, in the, you know, in the genitals with its yeah. head. You're going down. You know? Yeah. But, heck, they're,
0: however, they're just, the just, the, just the same. That, but they, just, just the same. A 60 pound dog. You know, moving like a bullet, uh, speed, right? you take it down just the same. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's the pro and the con. Yeah,
1: maybe six good years out of these dogs, when to to the point where you know the dog's still a good, healthy animal, but it's not really suited for work anymore because they are right. also bit and they do. You know, an eight-year-old German Shepherd has probably been in service for you know six years. Right, it two good years to really get that dog fully switched on. And by that point they're ready to retire. And that's a difficult thing too, because you have to find the right home for that kind of dog. It's it's not a dog that you just, you know, I don't care what the movie says, you don't take the search and rescue dog from Afghanistan and give it to a seven year old kid to run around on a bike with. Right, right. <laughs> I'm not a- absolutely sure the movie's really about, but that's what I got out of the trailer.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. I haven't seen the movie yet either, but I'll tell you the the professional dog training community is freaked out about this this movie. Just you know, completely ruining the breed and, and breeders popping up all over on Craigslist and, and and having. I mean, it, it'll be great for our business. Sure, you know, people will be going online looking up dogproblems.com dot com help me where I've got this, this mountain wall I can't control. Crazy, but um, <laughs> yeah, but but in the broad scope of things, not not a, not a good idea. So. Um, but it, it, it's, it's fun, you know. It's, it's, it's again, it's like, do you, do you prefer a Colt 45 or do you prefer a Glock? You know, both have, uh, you know, it, through the analogy, German Shepherd versus Malinois, both have their positives, both have their, their negatives, and it, it comes down to what's right for you, what's right for the job that you see the dog fulfilling.
1: Yeah.
0: And, um, and, and your temperament and the dog's, the individual dog's temperament, um, you know, so, yeah, and like you said, I'd, I'd, I'd much rather place, a mixed breed dog that has the perfect temperament for, you know, family X mm-hmm. uh, than than say, okay, we're going to get you this pure red dog that has a terrible temperament for, for your lifestyle. So um, temperament always comes first. There's no way around it. You, you know, you pick 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 the right temperament first and then consider whether or not the rest of the stuff fits into your lifestyle.
1: I how it fits you too because, like, when I was, you know, 19, all, all I could have ever wanted was to drive a Corvette. Well, now that I can afford a Corvette, I don't want to ride around in my, my ass two inches off the ground, hitting every bump, jarring through my body. Uh, I don't want a Corvette now. I, I know what a Corvette's for now. It's not for looking cool and picking up chick. It's for driving it like a race car. And unless you're going right. to do that, it's a terrible car. It, I mean, no yeah. problem. they look, I still, when I see one, I'm like, wow, that looks, then I just remember, yeah, you could have one. You don't want one because it, you know, I, I'm not going to drive that down to Mansfield to see my family, uh, you know, at, at 65 miles an hour where it, it's just going, rrr, rrr, like, it just wants to go, and you can't do it because you don't want to go to jail. So that car has a place and a, and a lifestyle that it's meant for, and it ain't me. And the, some of these high-energy dogs, you know, I'm in my 40s now. I like to relax. I like to sit outside right, right. on the deck of the pool with the dog at my feet. Or, or my dog, you know, he's been he's been on my feet the entire time. He woke up to eat a piece of sausage when I throw it through it to him uh but other than that he has not moved i i kind of dig a low key dog i want him to be able to work when he needs to but i don't want him all the time on the go uh a buddy of mine that comes over and does uh, trainings here uh with the, with the hawks uh also has a dog that hunts with the hawks and i can't remember what it's called but it's some kind of derivative of a jack russell basically patterdale Pat- Pat- the- terrier Pat- what is it patterdale might be it looks like okay. a little bit bigger, a little bit stockier Jack Russell, and this dog never, ever, ever, ever stops. I mean, two o'clock right, right. thing, it's still just bullet speed all over the place. And I'm like, I, I, I can't handle that. I don't want that. And if that guy wasn't taking that dog out to hunt, you know, every afternoon for squirrels and rabbits with a hawk, the dog would probably go crazy. So yeah, that dog yeah. fits him, but it sure don't fit me.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's like a lot of things in life, you know, the, the hardest part is knowing thyself, you know, and, and, yeah, the, 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 the big blonde with the, the, the giant tatas and the, it, it, you know, all that sex appeal, you may, you know, in your gut you may want that, but you know that if, if, if she's, if she's a nutcase, you <laughs> know, if she's a basket case, it ain't gonna fit in with your lifestyle, I'm sorry. You know, now if, if if you're running a brothel or something, then she might be great for you. But it's, you know, it, it's it's the same thing with a dog, and it's really hard in terms of the dog. I got a great woman. It's nothing like the woman I just described, by the way. But um, uh, in terms of uh, in terms of the dogs, um, you know, it, it's it's I'm not um, you know, I've been around the working dog community. I have a lot of really close friends that are, are have working dog outfits. But um, you know, me myself, yeah, I live a, a relatively sedentary life, um and, and I cannot handle even though I can training wise I can handle and temperament wise I can handle, but it's just, you know, a lot of these high drive dogs, they're just really difficult to live with if you're not, you know, a young guy or a young person rather. Um, who, who's constantly into working the dog. So I, I'm, I'm exactly the same way you are. I like a dog that I can take a nap with, you know, <laughs> that I can kind of cuddle with on the couch. Yeah. Um, but when it's time to go out and, you know, when you go outside, the dog's like, let's go, you know, but come inside and the dog just, the dog's got an off switch.
1: Yeah. So yeah, that, that's, that's, that's really what I'm looking for. That's the word. A dog with an off switch or at least a, yeah. a slow switch, right? At least we can right, get out, right. out of full on psychopathic behavior to, we're going to watch TV now. Yeah. You don't yeah. watch TV, but you sit there and I'll watch TV and we'll pretend we're doing it together. Anyway, that's, that's a really, it's been really great having you on today. You want to tell people again about your website where they can learn more about what you do and work with you?
0: Sure, sure. It's dogproblems.com, D O G P R O B L E M S dot com, Dog. Problems.com, and if you go by the website, we've got a free weekly dog training newsletter that we send out to over 66,000 dog owners, um, and you get a lot of really cool information. Of course, we'd love if you, you stuck around and you know checked out the the books and videos and stuff that we have to offer, but you don't need to do that. Just you know come by, put your email in. We don't spam or anything. It's just us. We're we're kind of a two and a half person uh, operation, uh, two two full timers and one part timer. And, um, and, you know, we, we we love dogs, but we love, we love training dogs for a very real-world uh, application, which means that you're going to be able to get your dog to listen to you anywhere you go, even around other dogs or cats or somebody dropping a hot dog or a piece of food. Our approach, we, we want to know that, you know, you can take the dog with you and the dog's going to work for you regardless of what else is going on. Jack, it's been a, a, a fantastic hour with you, and uh, let's do it again sometime soon.
1: Well, hey, man, I really appreciate you being with us today. I'm going to make sure to uh, repeat your website one more time for people dogproblems.com. Guys, get on by there and uh, do sign up for the uh, newsletter, if nothing else. And with that, this has been Jack Spearka today, along with Adam Katz, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
0: a better way